It's not over. Jesus Christ paid the price so we don't have to. He gave his very best. And when he was on the cross, he thought about us. He didn't give up. And he's not giving up yet on us. The Bible says he's interceding for us right now. He's praying for us. That we get it. That this is real. That God offers something that we couldn't possibly get with all the money on the earth. That despite our failures and faults, our selfishness, our envy, our covetousness, despite our vulgarity, Jesus Christ gave us his very best. He loved us. And he still loves us. And his desire for you is to live a significantly better life here on earth. The Bible says he came to give you life and life abundantly. But his sacrifice did not stop. He died. And then he was raised to life so that we could live forever. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's not just another religion. The claims of the gospel is this is about ultimate reality. That this world is slowly fading away. And God has been working throughout history to reveal to us eternal life. How do we get that life? By putting our faith in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ something so simple but you know here at Endurance Church I try not to use the word faith because we abuse that word so I try to say do you trust God do you trust the words of Jesus Christ do you trust that God made a way out of no way that he had been working throughout history to show you he loves you and even now today he has this little boy from West Virginia to come up here to tell you that Jesus is the way. Isn't that weird? I didn't choose to come here. I didn't choose to come to Minnesota. It's cold. I wanted to go to California. I wanted to go to Florida. I wanted to go to the sun. I came here from the beach because God's trying to work through me so that he can work through you to tell the world that Jesus Christ died and he is raised he is risen and he will never die again and if you put your faith your trust in Jesus Christ you too will live forever this isn't a myth a game these are historical facts but there's been something I believe challenging us all I remember being in a men's conference a long, long time ago. And I asked this question to the moderator. I said, tell me, sir, what is the difference between being a man and being prideful? And there was a hush that fell over everyone. And the moderator kind of started stumbling over his words. And he didn't give an answer. What's the difference? 
I believe that's the problem with our culture. I believe that's the problem with our country. We have God steeped in pride. We don't need God. We think we're better than what we really are. And because of that, when we come to the cross of the Christ, we can't humble ourselves and receive all the benefits, the blessings, all the beauty that God has for us because of pride. Pride has enabled me to do, in a sense, good things here on this earth. I played professional football because of pride. I was trying to prove somebody wrong, but it was a great motivator to get where I needed to go. Because of pride, I made great grades in school. I got uh, 4.0 in college and 3.876, something like that, in grad school. The student of the grad school. Why? Because I was trying to prove I was smarter than everybody else. But pride is the destroyer of relationships. You know how it is when you're married or you're in a relationship and the argument starts. Oh, who's going to lose? It ain't going to be me. I'm going down with the boat, but I'm going to win this argument. And we destroy relationship after relationship. We critique, we criticize, we poke fun, we slander people because God is using them and he's not using us. Why is that? Because of pride. Because of pride, we have a difficult time hanging in there with people who we think, oh, I don't got to be with that person. I can pick somebody else. I can move on. Pride. It corrodes. It corrupts. It destroys the very fabric of our faith. Pride. The essence of God's enemy. Satan said, oh, that I want to be just like God. I want people to worship me. But the problem is, for me, being an athlete, pride was instilled into my very DNA. I was told in order to be, for me to be successful, I had to be a competitor. So I could feel when pride was rising up in me. I feel it. <laughs> pride. It empowered me. But at the same time, it destroyed me. And if not for the grace of God, I would have never humbled myself and received my salvation. When Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, it was embarrassing, it was insulting, it was humiliating, it was all those things. But it was the glory of God. Jesus Christ humbled himself and took the punishment for us so that we didn't have to. If he was prideful, he would have never done that. See, humility, humans, humans, comes from the root word dirt. Now, I'm not saying you're dirt. <laughs> I'm pointing to Mike. It's okay. <laughs> but we are. We have a terrestrial body, and the Bible promises in the day of resurrection, we'll have a celestial body. No longer to be humus, to be dirt, but to be eternal beings, physically, spiritually, mentally, for all days, because Jesus Christ paid the way. Sometimes people can't even identify when they're living in pride and don't know the many blessings that they're, in a sense, hindering themselves from receiving. I can tell you by the time I got in a fight, 
I was in front of some people. It was in the middle of this, like, uh, dodgeball game. And I hit the boy. Pow! He was, ah, ah. He came running at me, calling me all type of names. And I'm a Christian at the time. Well, at least I think I am. And I'm like, okay. I'm bigger than him. I think I'm stronger than him. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be the most embarrassing thing. But I hate embarrassing things. I got to tell you. He, was, he also had a disability. Oh, And this boy with a disability constantly ran at me, jumped over the net, and came at me swinging. I'm like, hmm, how should I handle this? And all of a sudden, logic went away. So I beat the boy up. And in the process, broke my hand on his head and had to miss the entire season of football. I'm not saying I was a good man, even a decent man at the time. But I'll tell you one thing, pride was destroying who I was meant to be. Don't let pride destroy you. It's through humility that God will get glory through us. Jesus Christ showed us the example by washing people's feet, by going to the cross, by humbling himself for a humiliating death. He showed us the way. It's through humility that we're changed. If you look at the cross and you haven't been made contrite or broken because of the mighty sacrifice of Jesus, you need to reflect. Have you been changed? Have you been saved? How has pride influenced you in your life? Has it been a motivating factor for you? Have you used it in order to, to get gain? to make yourself proud in order to walk past a difficult situation or through your insecurities have you used pride to push past your weaknesses so that you could be strong? How have you used pride? Do you feel it when it's rising up in your heart? Don't you know pride blinds you? You can't even sometimes see what you're doing because you're proud. God has us to be humble. And if we can walk in humility, nothing is impossible for God through us. But God opposes the proud, and he exalts the humble. God fights against all pride. And in the new heaven and new earth, no one could possibly be proud because we know we didn't make it there because of our righteousness, because of our holiness, because of our goodness. Some people, because of pride, have the misconception that they are really good people, that their sins weren't that bad. Oh, yeah, that person sinned like this, but my sin wasn't bad. I didn't sleep around. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal any money. I'm not realizing that you are steeped in pride. The Bible says all have sinned. It's all even at the foot of the cross. Everybody needs God's grace. And if you don't understand that you're no better than the next person, you are in pride too. So let me help you understand. All of us are sinners. All of us have failed. No one's better than the next person. And the only difference between any human being here on the planet is the cross of Christ. Either you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior or you have not. And if you don't think your sins are bad enough, go back and look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He died and paid the price because we were wretched. How wretched were we? We are all on the trajectory to hell. Every single one of us. Because we're all evil. 
That's a hard truth, but that's what the Bible says. None is good but God. But Jesus Christ comes and says, if you love me, if you trust me, you can live forever. The Bible says, when we were God's enemies, he died for us, showing how much of a good and great God he is. Put your faith in God, and if you do, God promises eternal life. I have this quote. It's particularly long, but I liked it. It says, there's only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Nothing else can do it. When I see that I am a sinner, that nothing but the Son of God on the cross can save me, I'm humbled to the dust. Nothing but the cross can give me the spirit of humility. Here during this Easter season, this Resurrection Sunday, we reflect and contemplate on the cross, and hopefully through the spiritual formation process, we humble ourselves so that we can hear God's voice whisper our name once again. He has not given up on us. He's not left us alone. He sent us his Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill the Great Commission so that no one has to go to hell. But everybody has the opportunity for eternal life. But the challenge is, will you humble yourself and receive this great offer of salvation? And if you received it, continue to humble yourself so God can perpetually change you and mold you into the person he has always destined and meant for you to be. You have a strategic part in the plan of God. You are a piece of the puzzle, and God is making in the mosaic something very beautiful so that the world can see and reflect and be challenged and ask themselves this question, is Jesus Christ who he said he was? Everybody knows about Easter. Everybody's hearing the story right now. At football games, they used to put up the sign saying, what, John 3, 16. Tim Tebow wore and people looked it up on the internet. God is trying to get his word out. But he uses humble people to do so. Humble yourself at the cross of Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles, if you can, to Luke chapter 23. And we'll read verses 26 through 43, and we'll be done really quickly. And I really mean that. I just wasn't saying it. So I'm what you, what you would say, I'm more of a teacher guy than I am a preacher guy. And uh, I believe that the Bible itself is God's inspired word. I believe all truth is hidden in the Bible and contained in the scriptures. And it's our belief here to push you to read the Bible for yourself, to know it for yourself, because you're going to stand in front of Jesus Christ for yourself. And when you stand there, my hope is that you took time and invested or honored God by reading his word, that you allow God's word to change your life. But the problem is God's word is sharp. It hurts. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing center of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in the sight, but all things are open and naked to the words of God. God's word penetrates deep down in our essence, and the process hurts. 
I think sometimes people come to the cross of Jesus Christ and don't realize there's going to be pain in this process. It doesn't feel good following Jesus Christ. That's why John chapter 666, it says many of his disciples left because what he was saying was too hard to hear. But I'm trying to tell you, respond like Peter. Humble yourself, prideful Peter said, where else, Lord, are we going to go? You and you alone have the words to eternal life. Trust Jesus Christ today. 26 says, Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. We've been contrasting every single version of the Gospels regarding Jesus' crucifixion. And this is the last one today. And we've been highlighting what seems like potential discrepancies in each one. But I'm here to say God's word is true and faithful. So we're going to talk about some of those today, but ultimately get to the main point. That through humility, you find freedom. Verse 27, it says, And the great multitude of people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Listen to this, Jesus is beat down, broken down. And he has a response for these women who are crying over him. He says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the bearing wombs that never bore and breasts which never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they did not, excuse me, for if they do these things in the greenwood, What will be done in the dry? See here, Jesus Christ is still considering those people who are around him. Jesus Christ is about to be crucified, but he's still thinking about the people of Israel. And in the midst of his suffering, he gives a prophetic word saying, judgment is coming. He says, I know you're sympathetic. I know you're empathetic. I know your, your heart is hurt because of what's going on in me. But you know what? Weep for yourselves. What happened in the year 70 AD? The Romans demolished Israel. Wiped them off the face of the earth. No more temple. And they didn't get back to Israel until 1947. They were punished because they rejected Jesus Christ. In his suffering, he's still giving warnings. In his humiliation, he's still thinking about us. But he gives this clarifying point. This will be corroborated. So the world will know that you rejected me. In verse 32, it says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Very interesting point. None of the other gospels reference particularly what these criminals said except for this one. Now, I'm not trying to make the argument that the gospels are different, but I'm trying to make the very opposite point. The gospels are for people who are looking at the same thing but have different perspectives. Most of the gospels, three of them say the criminals what? We're talking about Jesus. But this one doesn't say that. It's interesting. Are they wrong? No. 
They're right. The fact is, the criminals were talking about Jesus consistently. But at a particular point while they were on the cross, something happened to one of the criminals. While they were on the cross, something changed in his heart. This criminal who was talking about Jesus had a change of heart. He didn't go on a great missionary event. He didn't have a prayer service. He didn't go out and change the world. But something happened on the inside of him while he was beside Jesus Christ on the cross. And he recognized that he was no better than anyone else. It says, and they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers sneering him said, he saved others. Let him save himself. He is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And now it says here in 30, and the inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. And it said, this is the king of the Jews. This is where we've been for a majority of the sermon series this month. Every single accusation is different. And we wrestle around, well, how could they be different? Well, it says right there, there are three accusations written in different languages. And we'll get to this more in the end. I'm trying to say they're, the, they're correct in what they were saying, but they all said something different. Only one author took something away, and that was Mark. We'll get to that later. I just want to throw it out there just in case you have to walk out before I finish. You better not walk out before I finish. And then one of the criminals who were hanging, listen to this. This was interesting when I studied this. One of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him. And look at what he said. He blasphemed him. And what did he say? Uh-oh, as I lose my part, it says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He's blaspheming. If you are the Christ, if you are the Son of God, save us. This was the ultimate test for Christ on the cross because if he came off that cross at this point, maybe the Israelites would then believe that he is the Son of God. Maybe they would have a change of heart, but that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for him to die. So while he's on the cross, someone's challenged his identity, and God considered that blasphemy, challenging the identity of Christ. Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuking him, saying, don't you even fear God? Here we go. We see a change. The other answered him and said, rebuked him. Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 43, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, You'll be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you in the brief time I have to use me, Lord God, speak through me, Father God, change hearts and minds, encourage people, build us up, Father God, to fulfill your plan here on the earth. In these last days, Father God, raise up your church in humility and do it for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at the, the Gospels, 
They're trying to teach us a lesson. Each gospel is written to a particular audience in a particular style. Each author saying a particular thing led by God's Spirit. So we believe the Holy Spirit led each author to say whatever they wanted to say so that people in the context could understand the words, be changed, and be saved. And here, Luke, the doctor, the man who is erudite, the man who wrote also Acts, puts his gospel down chronologically so that the Greek mind will understand what's being said. And every Greek person gets it. This is it. This is the Messiah. He died. But on the cross, something amazing happened. A story that a lot of people preach over and over, and I love it. I believe on the cross, there is representing humanity. One on the right, a prideful man who's right beside Jesus Christ and is trying to tell him, if you are the person who you say you are, you give us this blessing right now. If you are the man who you say you are, we get off this Christ right now. If you are the man who you say you are, then you know what? You help us, you free us, you heal us, you set us free right now. If you are who you say you are. But then there's another man who something happened inside of his heart. A change happened. This man who was prideful, Something changed his heart. And he said, leave him alone, you other robber, you other bad man. We are the bad people, and we deserve this, and you don't. And he looked at Jesus now with a contrite heart and humility. Why would this man believe Jesus Christ on the cross? Most people at this point think he's what failed. You didn't fulfill the prophecy. You're not the messianic leader. You're not the messianic ruler. You're not David. You're not the warrior king. How did this man have a change? He saw Jesus' humility, and he heard the words of Christ on the cross. The scripture says Jesus said this in this context. Father, forgive them. I believe this man heard those words. And something happened on the inside. I said, wait a minute. He's asking God to forgive them after they just tortured him and after they just beat him, after they humiliated him, after they shamed him. Now Jesus is saying, forgive them. Oh, something's different about this man. Remember the Roman centurion, after all the shenanigans happened when Jesus Christ on the cross looked up and said, surely this was the son of God. There were people right there near Jesus and saw his response to pain and agony and humility and something happened in their hearts and they recognized that this was God's son. In your own life, when you walk in humility, do you know who you're pointing to? You're pointing to Jesus. When you turn the other cheek, when you give of your time, when you give of your money, when you give your best to God, people see the humility and they said, there must be something about that faith. It's humility that people need to see. They need to see Jesus in you. And Jesus Christ, his spirit will draw all people to him. But when you walk in pride, like a rooster, as they say in West Virginia, with your chest poked out when it's about you and your accomplishments and what you've done and what you deserve. They don't see Jesus. They see you. You have a choice every single day. Make the decision that people see Jesus Christ 
in your life. Let's get to some of the points. What do we need to know? In pride or humility, our response to the cross of the king reveals our eternal destination. It's our response to the cross that determines our eternity. When you think about Jesus on the cross, how do you respond? What's your attitude? What's your disposition? How do your proclivities respond to Jesus' cross, his death, burial, and resurrection? If you say, well, this is who I am and I'm not going to change. God's going to love me for me. And because of who I am, oh, he died on the cross. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Because of who you are, he died on the cross. But my goodness, don't you know who you are? You're broken. You're wounded. All of us hurt. We all are broken, wounded, and hurt. But the reality of our brokenness is what brings our blessing. When I look in the mirror, you know what I see every day? I don't say, oh, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. I know, I know it's in the scriptures. But I say, oh, Lord, help me today not sin. Help me today not fall. Help me today get it right. Help me not blow up and turn into the Hulk. Help me be like Batman and not Superman. Help me, Lord. That was an inside joke. Lord, I know I'm falling. Like, oh, I hate to say this. Like Punisher said to the daredevil, I'm just one bad day being like him. I'm just one day off from blowing up. You know it. You look in my eyes. I'm going to crawl past. It's going crazy. We need to pray for him right now. He's about to lose it. I know you struggle. I do too. I know you make mistakes. I do too. I know you get angry. Hey, I do too. I know you fight with your spouse. I do too. I know you get mad at your kids. I do too. I know sometimes you don't want to worship. I do too. I know sometimes you want to give up. I do too. But where else are we going to go, y'all? What are you going to do? We're in trouble. <laughs> We're in trouble. This game ain't right. This game is not right. But Jesus fixed it for us. We have a hope. It's okay. He didn't lose. He won. But he did it in humility. And do you know how you're going to win? In humility too. Respond to the cross with humility. Why do you need to know it? You need to respond that way so you know that you're right with God. I'm not here to try to tell you, man, walk around, woe is me. I believe in victory. I believe we're victorious. I believe we're kings. I believe we're rulers. But there's a balance every single church has to have. There's a balance every single pastor has to have. I have to tell you we're victorious in Christ. But I have to tell you, hey, we're still struggling with sin. And right here in the middle, at the cross, all this stuff comes together in a mystery. Man, I'm righteousness in God in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm in a place of humility. I need God every second. I need God every time I talk and think. Every time I look at TV, I got pure flicks, so my mind's going to get right now. <laughs> I know, that was an inside joke too. I try them. 
I'm trying. I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And I miss it. I still sin. I got to go to some people and confess my faults. Still. And I'm the pastor. I need God. And you need him too. Go to him. Don't be so proud to think that you got it. You need him. This is a culture is almost defined by your independence from other people, but specifically from God. And you don't know how much you need him. Don't wait till it gets bad, when it all blows up, to realize, oh, God, help me. You needed him a long time ago. You need God every moment of every hour of every day. Go to him. What do you need to do? Humble yourself with the cross of the king. Humble yourself. God will humble the proud. Don't let God humble you. It ain't good. I've been humbled. I'll tell you about my humility experience. I was playing. <laughs> it goes back to football. This is all I got. I'm a football guy, so I'm sorry. I mean, if it was NASCAR, I was NASCAR, but I'm football. I'm playing against the St. Louis Rams. St. Louis Rams. Playoff game. Kurt Warner's a quarterback. Who's that, Adam? I hear you. They call this play. We practice against this very play. It didn't work in practice. I saw that the other, I'm the free safety. I'm like, wait a minute. If we run this defense against this play, they're going to score a touchdown on us. The St. Louis Rams ran that very play. Isaacim going across the middle. Torrey Holt out there on the wing. I'm in the middle. I have to make a decision which one I want to guard. Now, this was the first game I ever went out in the football field. I prayed. You know, they introduced me, so I prayed before I went out. You know, I prayed on my knees. I ran out the tunnel, and I went like, so you know God was with me. I was anointed to win the game for Jesus. But in this play, I couldn't do anything. Whichever person I decided to cover, the other one was going to score. So they threw it to whoever it was, Isaac Bruce, in the middle of the field. And I jumped in the air with all my might, touched his foot. He buckled and took off down the middle of the field. Touchdown! I'm like, oh, Lord. After the game was over, I said, I take responsibility. They put that in the newspaper. I didn't think they would put it in there. Free safety, losing the game for him. Oh, I was being a man. It didn't work the way I thought it would. I thought it would end right there. It didn't end. It was ugly. And I was like, man, I, I lost the game for us. I'm crying and I'm hurting. Eventually, Laura called me out in the ministry. I lose heart for football. They cut me. They bring in another safety. His name was Tyrone Carter to play my position. You know him. And I'm like, oh, humility. And then a couple years later, I find a book by Kurt Warner. And do you know which play he describes? This very play. He's like, and Anthony Bass was in the middle of the field, and whichever decision he was going to make, it was going to be bad for him. I'm like, no. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. It's there for eternity now. The St. Louis Rams. I'm like, this can't be happening. I was so proud before that game. 
I finally made it. I was getting healthy. I was strong. I was fast. I'm going, man, I'm going to play football about five, six, seven years, make about $25 million, get another Q45 infinity, get me a house on the beach. Hey, I've done it. God blew that up. And from that point, I just fall and fail and fail until finally at the bottom, I was like, Lord, help me. I can't fall any further. And he said, be faithful. You need humility to walk in faith. Why do you need to do that? So you can be saved. My heart has a tendency to stray. We live in a culture with pornography. It's in all our homes. Alcohol, we have access to us whenever we want. We have gambling everywhere. We have Netflix. It's a monster. I read how multimedia now is designed to make you addicted so you binge and watch Netflix. You didn't like that. You didn't get a giggle on that one. I'm just trying to say <laughs> I heard one. We live in a culture designed to draw our attention away from God. And God desires for you to hold on to his feet, to trust him, to give your best to him, to spend your time with him. Why? Because you need him. And if you think you can do it without God, you are gravely mistaken. We can't do this without God. I don't care how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, where you come from. I don't care how many cars you have, how many clothes you have, how many houses you have. I don't care how healthy you are. You can't make it past death. You're not strong enough. But Jesus has made a way for us to win. But you need to humble yourself. And receive all that he has. And follow him until the end. About to wrap up. So what do we do? We have all this stuff. All this information. All this insight. How do we live? Scripture says this. The Lord detests the proud. They will be surely punished. Every time I look up the word pride, every commentary that talks about pride... It says this, this is the root of all sin. Pride. It's the one thing that hinders you from growing in God. It's the one thing that hinders you from coming to the cross. It's the one thing that hinders you in that middle of the argument with your wife that you don't want to lose. From going back saying you're sorry for repenting the person you hurt. Pride. God fights against it. He hates it. Pride is what made Satan rebel. Pride can derail every single hope you have. Get rid of pride. Humble yourself at his feet. Real quick, I got this little point I wanted to make so we can look at it. My job as a pastor is to make you trust in the scripture. It's faithful. Our culture has for the last, I think, almost uh, 400, well, I'll say 200 plus years. Well, I'll say from the Enlightenment on, so 600 some years, 
has caused us to doubt the scriptures. Scholar after scholar has told us they're wrong. There's issues, there are errors. You can't trust them. You can't trust them. Therefore, what? Trust who? I'll trust a man's opinion. <laughs> it's so funny. There used to be a time after the Civil War where pastors were preaching that the Bible wasn't even accurate. And the very authority these pastors had was based upon the Bible that they were undermining. I love it when I see Christians who are confused undermining the scriptures, the very scriptures they claim to believe in. Don't you know you're just, you're undermining your faith? But now, Christians have got our acts, we've got our act together. We have an argument that's valid. And right when we're actually strongest than we've ever been regarding the argument, regarding the accuracy of the scriptures, now our culture says there's no absolute truth. It doesn't matter. You think you won. God's word is trustworthy. This same God that put the universe together with a word has been preserving his scriptures and will do so until the end. The issue is, do you trust God? We look here. This is what each one says. Matthew says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is what's accusation. Mark says, just the king of the Jews. Luke says, this is the king of the Jews. And John says something different. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And what I'm trying to say is each one took from either the Aramaic or the Latin or the Greek. And the only one that's different is Mark. <laughs> what Mark did Mark cut down his whole gospel. If you ever had a time to read Mark, read it. It says immediately, 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 he cut down words, he cut down phrases. Mark was trying to get through his gospel. He was. You can read it. The word immediately is used 41 times in his gospel. It's almost like Jesus lived and died in one week. I'm serious. So when it comes to his accusation, Mark was like, the king of the Jews. You get it. It's true. We can trust it. Not only can you trust the scriptures, you can trust God. He's got your back. As we conclude today, my challenge, trust God. In these last days, the Bible says there will be difficult times. People will be lovers of themselves. The Bible says they will heap up Preachers that speak words that they want to hear who have itching ears, meaning pastors who say what they want to hear. That scripture scares me. I don't want to be that guy. But I want to be the guy that stands on Jesus' words regardless of the consequences. Why? Because I believe it's going to be much harder for our children to stand. And if I don't stand, how do I expect them to stand? It's time to stand for Jesus. It's time to fight. It's time to change this world. It's time to give your heart to the Lord. It's time to grow. It's time to fix your family. It's time to win souls for the Lord. Behold, I come quickly, he says. And to conclude, this is the last point. Everybody wants happiness. But I'm here to say this. 
Humility is the key to eternal happiness. Because of the cross, you can be happy forevermore. I don't know where you are today in your faith. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. There's going to be a someone come to my left and someone to my right and someone right beside me. We're going to open this altar for prayer. You know, every Easter they say, hey, this is the one everybody comes to church. And every church should be preaching the gospel. And we're doing the same thing now. Thank you for coming. But none of this makes sense if you are in the seats and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today I want to offer you, if everybody could bow your head and close your eyes, if you don't know Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach Adonai, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if you don't personally know him as your Lord and Savior, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if today you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior while everybody's looking down, raise your hand really quickly and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone here today? Is there anyone here today that you've walked away from Jesus? <laughs> you don't know him anymore. And you want to get back with him. You know your relationship is strained and you want to get it right. If you're here today, raise your hand and put it down and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone here today? I see one hand. Is there anyone else? All right. If you would, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I love you. Come into my life and fill me. Take control of my life and lead me. I repent of my sins and I turn toward you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, this is a time we were, we're introducing our church today. It's called altar ministry. If you know God's tugging at your heart, and I didn't even mention what area you're struggling with, the altar is open for you. If you want to pray, if you feel God pushing down in your heart, you don't have to stay in your seat. You can come up to the altar. I know the difficult thing is what? People will see you come to the altar. And if you come to the altar, that means you're a sinner. No, that's not what it means at all. The altar has been always the place of sacrifice. There may be some things you need to give to God. And right now, you don't feel like you have the strength to. Just letting you know the altar is open for you. If you need prayer for sickness or for health, if you need prayer for family or for faith, or if you need encouragement, this, these ladies to my right and this, these young gentlemen to my left, uh, they're here for prayer. If you need help, come and get prayer. You're not in this alone. I'm going to say this and we're going to be gone to cease your service. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.